0: You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn. And today we're going to be taking an introductory look at complementarian theology. We'll look at its central teachings, we'll look at its origins where did it come from and why did it arise? as well as its authors and the proponents or supporters of that theology today. We're also going to take a look at why it's causing a stir and some of its opponents, including egalitarian theology and robust biblical patriarchy. We'll talk a little bit about the differences in those three theologies. We're going to analyze the impact that complementarian theology has had on the church today And in particular, we'll examine the softening impact that it's had on masculinity in the modern church and the broader culture. Now, one thing I want to do by way of introduction is to let you know, I was actually converted under John Piper's preaching. John Piper's one of the main authors and proponents, along with Wayne Grudem of Complementarian Theology, and it was because of him that I was introduced to Reformed Theology. So, I'm deeply appreciative of his ministry, and at one point I was a proponent of complementarian theology. So, while I offer my critique of his theology here, it's worth stating that I am eternally grateful for his ministry of faithful, expository, reformed, and Calvinistic preaching. Complementarianism was a term coined by John Piper and Wayne Grudem in their book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, A Response to Evangelical Feminism. Now, this book was released in 1991, and I would encourage you to take a look at it. If you don't own a copy, you can also find a free PDF if you go to desiringgod.org. Of course, that is John Piper's ministry website, and you can download the PDF there. Now, as the title suggests, the book was a response to several decades of feminist ideology which had invaded the Christian church. John Piper and Wayne Grudem saw that this was a problem, and so they wrote this book along with many other contributors in response to that. Now, this feminist theology and ideology was being embraced by evangelicals, and they called themselves, and still do to this day, egalitarians. Now, it's important to keep in mind on both sides, whether you're a complementarian or an egalitarian, there's a broad spectrum. Not everyone believes the same points, so I do want to point that out, but Piper and Grudem were seeking to stem the tide of the feminism and the sexual sin in the church by publishing their work, and I believe they wrote it with good intentions for helping the church. Now, some form of complementarianism has been the dominant treatise in reformedish evangelical circles in America for close to 30 years. That's right, it's hard to imagine that 1991 was almost 30 years ago, but it's true. Now, let's talk egalitarian theology. At its core, the egalitarian position is that men and women are created equal and there are no role distinctions between the two sexes. That second part is very important to understand. Men and women are equal and there's no role distinction between those two sexes. It's the sort of position, anything you can do, I can do better, right? This is the dominant theology and ideology both in the church and in the American culture today. Now, among other things, egalitarians allow women access to the pulpit and to teaching and slash authority roles within the church. What they'll also do is say, in the rest of the world, there's no distinction between men and women. Either one can serve in military. Either one can serve in physical, demanding, could-kill-you type jobs. Doesn't matter. Men or women, there's no difference. Now, in response, conservative, Bible-believing men like John Piper and Wayne Grudem, they argued this. Men and women are created equal, but... They have different roles depending on their sex and according to scripture. So they're both equal before God in worth, but they have different roles. This is sort of the central tenet of complementarian theology. One of the main examples that these men use is the Trinity, right? The Trinity, you have three distinct persons in the Trinity. They're all God, right? But there's an economy, and so they do different things. In the same way, men and women are equal in worth, but they're different in the roles that they perform. Now, mainly John Piper and Wayne Grudem are referring to really two spheres, and this is going to be crucial as we start to analyze complementarian theology. Those two spheres are the pulpit and the household. Keep that in mind as we progress through this teaching. John Piper and Wayne Grudem both affirm Paul's prohibition against women preaching. That's important to keep in mind. They both support the biblical doctrine that exercising authority and teaching roles in the church is reserved for men. They recognize that men were given a leadership role in some capacity and that women are to submit, particularly in marriage. And they'll reference Ephesians chapter 5. So again, even as we criticize and critique this view, keep in mind, they're trying to be faithful to the biblical witness. Now, in terms of proponents today, complementarian theology has been widely embraced by many in the Reformed camp, and there's many different denominations and backgrounds, right? You have Baptists, you have Presbyterians, you have Acts 29ers, you have Southern Baptist Convention people, you have PCA people. Okay, the list of supporters includes names like John Piper, Wayne Grudem, Kevin DeYoung, Matt Chandler, J.D. Greer, C.J. Mahaney, and others. Most of those names are associated also with the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. You can find more about this organization, and encourage you to read up on it. It's C B M, as in Mike, W as in Walter. O-R-G, now, in terms of opponents of complementarian theology, these are your egalitarians, you're going to find prominent names like Tim Keller, of course, Beth Moore, and perhaps most vehemently outspoken of all, Carl Truman and Amy Bird. Right. What's interesting is that many of these names come from within reformedish sort of camps, But they're espousing doctrines that are more closely aligned with feminism than with the scripture. Now, they are generally in favor of women either as elders or some of them in preaching roles. Obviously, Beth Moore, um, she's coming out of the SBC, sort of reformed-ish, but really advocating for women pastors and downplaying the words of Paul because she'll say, well, those are the words of Paul, not the words of Jesus. So, again, there's a spectrum here, but those two names, Carl Truman and Amy Bird, they've attacked the position mainly on their podcast, The Mortification of Spin. You can also read their writings in First Things. Now, for years, Bird and Truman have attacked this complementarian view. They've gone after Dr. John Piper, and most recently, Amy Bird has written her book, which is called Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Of course, you can tell even in the title, she is responding specifically to Piper and Grudem. They see that this complementarian theology is destructive. They'll blame abuse in the church on this theology and and several other derogatory things that they associate with that complementary doctrine. Now, among other things, Byrd and Truman have mocked complementarians for arguing that women should not serve in the military or as police officers. Now, as we examine both positions, both the complementarian and the egalitarian position, it's important to recognize several fundamental truths behind each ideological framework and what the practical outworking of those ideologies are in the real world. So I want to go through those now. First of all, feminist egalitarianism embraces the Marxist feminist assumption that hierarchies, or simply authority structures, are inherently evil and thus seeks to destroy them. So keep that in mind. Egalitarianism is embracing a Marxist feminist assumption that hierarchies are evil. Secular feminism embraces the Marxist concept that hierarchies are simply tools for oppression and therefore must be destroyed. Worst of all, in the feminist mind, is patriarchy, right? This male-dominated authority structure that feminists view as really the source of the world's evils. Hence, the war cry of the feminist, down with the patriarchy. Now, so-called Christian feminists, or egalitarians, are often more subtle about how they approach this issue than you would find in secular feminism. But fundamentally, they embrace the same basic disdain for hierarchies. We're going to look at some of the examples in just a moment. But in particular, they're opposed to patriarchy. They will say that patriarchy is an evil. And so they claim to reject authority structures. But what's dishonest about this is that in reality, feminists don't really want to tear down hierarchical structures like any good comrade. They just want a transfer of power. They want to be at the top of the power structure, not to actually just obliterate it altogether. That's why you see these movements and kind of the messaging is, Well, look, men had their shot. Now it's time for women and minorities to be at the top of the structure, right? They're still for hierarchy, even though they claim to be against it. What they're against is men being at the top of that hierarchy. Now, the second thing is this. Complementarianism is at root an appeasement and a compromise with the fundamental tenets of Marxist feminism. So right from the very beginning, when Piper and Grudem... Uh, really hatched this theology and systematized it with their book it was a way to appease the feminism in the church they too looked at patriarchy and they said okay we need to soften this in a way that's palatable and we're going to see how they decided to do that now while piper and Grunham stress the equal but different distinction between men and women they do accept the fundamental assumption that hierarchies are inherently evil including, and I want you to hear this, including biblical patriarchal authority. On page 11 of their book, the authors write this, and I'm quoting, if one word must be used to describe our position, we prefer the term complementarian, since it suggests both equality and beneficial differences between men and women. We are uncomfortable with the term traditionalist, because it implies an unwillingness to let scripture challenge traditional patterns of behavior, and we certainly reject hierarchicalist, because it overemphasizes structured authority while giving no suggestion of equality or the beauty of mutual independence. End quote. Now, well-meaning as they seem in protecting some form of biblical male and female role distinctions. Piper and Grudem, nevertheless, reject the biblical doctrine of masculine authority and God-appointed hierarchy, right? This is what they're getting at. Look, we don't like this hierarchical language. We don't want to support it, and so we're going to choose language that deviates from the scriptural record. In doing so, they commit the sin that C.S. Lewis warned us about. They remove the organ, but they demand the function. They call men to bear responsibility, but they deny them the God ordained authority to do so. Without a hierarchical structure and genuine authority, leadership is nothing but a neutered illusion. I want to illustrate this point further by referencing an article by Mary Cassian that appeared on the Gospel Coalition. It was titled Complementarianism for Dummies. Now, keep in mind, Mary Cassian, a female, is a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. And in this article, she's actually trying to defend complementarianism. Notice what she writes. This is the third point that she lays out about complementarity. A proletariat bourgeois type hierarchy has no place in complementarity. Feminist theorists maintain that male-female role differences create an over-under hierarchy in which men who are like the privileged elite French landowners, the bourgeois, of the 18th century, keep women, who are like the lower, underprivileged class of workers, proletariat, subservient. Complementarians, however, do not believe that men as a group rank higher than women. Men are not superior to women. Women are not the second sex. Men have a responsibility to exercise headship in their homes and church family And Christ revolutionized the definition of what that means. Now, this is the crucial part. I want you to listen to this. She writes Authority is not the right to rule, it is the responsibility to serve. We rejected the term hierarchicalism because people associate it with an inherent self proclaimed right to rule. End quote. So, for Cassian, any hierarchical system is inherently evil. Husbands, in her view, have the responsibility to rule, but they do not have the authority. This is crazy, right? You cannot separate authority to rule from the responsibility to rule. That makes no sense. Contrary to what Cassian argues, the biblical view of authority is the God-ordained right to rule with the responsibility that comes with it. Proper rule is always a combination of authority and responsibility. Now, I want you to think of one example. Say you leave your oldest son at home to watch his siblings. Well, in order for this to be effective, you have to delegate your authority as well as the responsibility if he is to be effective in leading his siblings. If you give him the responsibility and they say, but you have no authority, then it's not going to work, is it? Right? Because we all know, fundamentally, that leadership and rule require both authority and responsibility. Now, in reality, as we'll discuss in coming episodes, hierarchies, they are part of God's design. That's what's wrapped up in the fifth commandment in obeying our parents is ultimately a doctrine of authority. You see, authority structures are part of the fabric of God's creation. So any attack on hierarchy or delegated authority, is ultimately an attack on the authority of God himself. Now, third, the aim of complementarianism is to destroy God-ordained patriarchy, or father rule. Again, Cassian, who was, she says, there at the beginning when these meetings were happening with John Piper and Grudem and the rest of the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, she writes this, quote, Complementarity does not condone patriarchal societal oppression of women. Notice right away that patriarchy and oppression are like the same word in these people's mind. This is the complementarian camp. Okay, I'm continuing with the quote now. Technically, patriarchy simply means a social organization in which the father is the head of the family. But, she writes, since the 1970s, feminists have redefined the historic use of the term And attributed negative connotation to it. Nowadays, people regard patriarchy as the oppressive rule of men. Interjecting here, she seems to be willing to accept that definition. I think that's a huge mistake. Continuing with the quote, she says, patriarchy is regarded as a misogynistic system in which women are put down and squelched. That's why we rejected the term patriarchalism. Complementarians stand against the oppression of women. We want to see women flourish, and we believe they do so when men and women live together according to God's Word. She continues, Who we are as male and female is ultimately not about us. It's about testifying to the story of Jesus. We do not get to dictate what manhood and womanhood are all about. Our Creator does. That's the basis of complementarianism. Now, this part is very important, so pay attention. If you hear someone tell you that complementarity means you have to get married— have dozens of babies, and be a stay-at-home housewife, clean toilets, completely forgo a career, chuck your brain, tolerate abuse, watch Leave It to Beaver reruns, bury your gifts, deny your personality, and bobblehead nod yes to everything that men say, well, don't believe her. That's a straw, woman, misrepresentation. It is not complementarianism. Now, I want you to notice what has just happened here. First of all, Cassian has lumped godly commandments, right? The first three things that she mentioned, marriage, fruitfulness with children, and a woman's productive role in the household, those are all commandments and good things from God. But what did she do? She lumped them together with evil things, spousal abuse, right? And then you got brainless toilet scrubbing, a complete suffocation of women's giftings, not having a personality or an opinion or any say in a marriage. right? She lumped them all together like this is one big package deal. And you can understand why. It's just a rejection of all of it together. Now, second and related, Cassian equates patriarchy with societal oppression of women. right? She just seems to accept this definition of patriarchy, which is both absurd and unbiblical. The insinuation is that patriarchy itself is inherently oppressive because it's a hierarchical system. And so much of this, people don't realize this, but so much of this ideology is influenced by Marxist feminism and not the Bible. The fourth point that I want to make is that complementarianism limits male-female distinction to the church and the household. These are the only two spheres that they really want to talk about. Now, this essentially flattens gender distinctions in every other area of life. In turn, this is opening the door for sexual perversion of every single variety. This is why the church is awash with sexual sin. Because if you limit biblical masculinity and femininity to the pulpit and the father-husband role, then they basically have nothing to say to the rest of society. Beyond the pulpit and this theoretical headship role in the home, by the way, one that the complementarian says has no real authority, Many complementarians fail to effectively extend masculinity and femininity to any other sphere. And so there's no definition for those sexual terms in things like competency, physical prowess, sexual potency, skill sets, career choices, military service, self-defense, firearms, financial decisions, should you be in debt, social mannerisms. Or clothing preference, John Piper says this in his book. It never occurred to me that leadership and submission had anything to do with superiority, or inferiority, and it didn't have to do with muscles or skills either. It was not a matter of capability or competency. I want you to. I just want you to mark that. John Piper is saying that masculinity has nothing to do with competency. It has nothing to do with skill. It has nothing to do with your capabilities as a man, and it has nothing to do with what you do with your body. Now, I want to make this very, very clear. That's exactly the Gnostic notion of sexuality and manhood in particular that I have been trying to kill with this podcast and my blog. I think it's utter garbage. I think it is the reason the church is in the bad position that it's in today, because people, well-meaning people, are teaching and espousing these views. They're Gnostic, right? And so the, the, the Bible, according to them, has nothing to say to the way that men dress. It's fine if you wear skinny jeans. It really has no bearing on your sexuality at all. Culturally, scientifically, on the other hand, we know these things are false. Now, as a result of this Gnostic sexuality, right, it leaves us without clear definition of masculinity or femininity for every area of life. The church has been awash with functional androgyny, effeminacy, metrosexuality, same-sex attraction, and various other sexual perversions. You see, the problem is complementarians thought, well, we can pump the brakes on the feminist movement by softening the message of Scripture. We can soften biblical patriarchy. But ultimately, they've been the places where sexual perversion has been happening in these soft-left reformed churches. Now, at one point, Amy Byrd and Carl Truman actually argued that sexual difference were virtually indistinguishable and insignificant. Now, I will say later on, they did try to walk that back and and do a little bit of backtracking, but you could kind of see where they were coming from, right? To them, apart from the pulpit and apart from a theoretical role as a husband, sexuality basically means nothing, right? It's like Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec said about art. He said, listen, art is art. Anything is anything, right? That's how our culture views sexuality. Anything is anything. Now, most helpfully, and he's been a, a really good critic of complementarian theology, as well as egalitarians, and that's David Talcott. He says this in describing the problem. Quote, so here is what's going on. The mortification of spin crew, right? So that's Carl Truman and Amy Bird." The Mortification of Spin Crew is engaged in intentional long-term project of restricting complementarianism to only two thin and attenuated bright lines, that is, the household and the church. They started by jumping all over John Piper for simply suggesting to a woman that before she signed up to be a police officer, she considered what implications it might have for her womanhood. They ridiculed the idea that there was any quote biblical manhood and womanhood filter, end quote, that life and career decisions needed to be put through, end quote. Now, the fifth point I want to make is that Piper and Grudem define a man's role solely in terms of his service to women. Aaron Wren pointed this out, and it's very helpful. If you get a chance on Amazon Prime, you can go and watch Man Rampant, episode number three. He sits down with Doug Wilson, and he talks explicitly about this point. And his point is that man is supposed to have a mission, which is dominion. It's outward facing in the world, and it includes his marriage, and it includes fruitfulness. We get all of this in Genesis 1 and 2, right? Man was made for a mission and an adventure, and that's dominion over the whole cosmos. But what do Piper and Grudem do? Well, they describe masculinity in their book exclusively in the language of service to the woman. You can see how this is an appeasement to the feminist. Well, look, yeah, he's still going to be in a role of authority-ish. He's still going to be kind of your head-ish. But here's the good news, ladies. His only purpose in life is to serve you. It's all domestically focused, right? Every feminist dream come true, but it doesn't work. So I want to read to you from Piper and Grudem. This is what they say, quote, At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to man's differing relationships. End quote. So what do we see here? Well, it's this. While there is an obvious truth in man's role of protection and provision, right? That's biblical. Genesis 2.15. Man is to work and he's to keep and he's to... Provide for his wife and needs to protect his children and his family. That's true. But that is not the central overarching mission of a man's life. Piper and Grudem fail to capture man's dominion mandate in a world facing posture. Man's mission, if he's to be successful, God glorifying, if he's to be satisfied and happy in his work, and also if the woman's to be satisfied and happy, his mission cannot be the woman. This is a Huge mistake, and it is a sin against nature and the created order. Man is not to be defined in terms of taming the world, in this view, or building culture, but merely in terms of domestic duties. Right? You see the huge problem with this. There's no talk of God-ordained authority or of man's highest mission, as we said, taking dominion of the earth. Instead, woman is his only mission. Man's sole purpose is to serve his wife. And as Aaron Wren points out, this lie of servant leadership, women say, well, and men say too, it's time to man up. What they really mean is man up and serve your wife, right? This is conflating the biblical record about what man's leadership role is supposed to be in that relationship and in the way that he faces the world. This is really just the quintessential picture of a neutered, domesticized, Nice guy, soy latte sipping husband that the feminist would want to marry. It's anything but the picture of patriarchal, historical, biblical manhood. Now, sixth, Piper admits, and I think this is very important Piper admits that his father was absent from much of his childhood and that his mother played the central role in his formation. Now, you can think, wow, you're a jerk for pointing this out, Eric. But Piper, he takes a long time in his description of how he came to know sexual roles. He takes a long time talking about the role his mother had and the absence of his father. So here's the deal. John's father, he says, was a preacher. And his, his dad was gone all the time. He was not there when John was being raised. And so he sort of abandoned his family. I mean, that's not how John records it, but that's what he did. He abandoned his family for lengthy periods of time, and he left John Piper's mother to lead the household and raise the children. And so John talks about, well, she did all the house, she ran the household, she fixed the lawnmower, she cut the grass, she showed me how to pull weeds, she taught me how to stand up to bullies, all this stuff. It was his mother who ran the household and raised the children, who led in worship, who took them to church, who did functionally everything, she fulfilled both roles. Well, it's not surprising that John would have confused roles about gender identity and those roles in marriage, right? It's not surprising then that his teaching on sexuality is highly sympathetic to a sort of feminist ideology and to Gnostic views of sexuality. I think it's an important feature to keep in mind. Now, number seven, the book strangely, it strangely begins with a chapter on singleness, Now, when I first read this, I was like, why would you start a book on sexuality with singleness? You know, God wrote a book, it's called the Bible, and he began his book by saying it's not good for men and women, it's not good for man to be alone, so I'm going to create a woman out of your rib, and I'm going to create the institution of marriage, and then I'm going to call you to take dominion and to be fruitful. So very central in this work of dominion is God's institution of marriage and family. So, it's really, really almost impossible biblically to define masculinity and femininity apart from marriage and children. It's almost impossible. It's certainly not the normative way to talk about sexuality. And yet, in their book, this is exactly where they begin, and I think it's a crucial, crucial mistake. Why are John Piper and Wayne Grudem trying to appeal to single Christians? Well, what they do in the, this is the first opening chapter, right? There's a prologue, but this is the first chapter. I think what they're trying to do is distance sexuality from these two institutions, of marriage and family. So what they do is they argue from Paul and from Jesus about two unmarried dudes. They argue that sexuality should be understood apart from those institutions. Again, I just don't know how you could formulate something that flew more directly in the face of scripture. Right? Scripture begins, marriage, family. These are good. This is like a man's role. Like, duh. Very central. Very basic. And John Piper and Wayne Grudem are saying, no, we're going to write a book on sexuality and we're going to aim it at single people. Man, I don't get it. I mean, I, I would like to believe the best. I like to think that it's not pernicious, but it seems, at best, just stupid. The other thing that they do when they're arguing in this way is they fail to make an obvious distinction between celibacy and the sort of rampant, prolonged singleness that's practiced in today's culture. You, no one has the gift of singleness. You might have the gift of celibacy, but I guarantee you, like 99% of single people today, even those who claim to be Christian, right? They're looking at porn. They're doing things they shouldn't. They're being irresponsible, right? And, and some of them, if you're super spiritual, you'd be like, well, I just want to use my singleness to serve the orphans in Africa. This glorification of singleness is bad. It's been bad for our culture. It's bad for the church and pastors. Look, stop doing it. If you're doing that, repent of that. Right. The normative, basic, normal thing, scripturally, biblically to do is get married, have kids, make families, make babies, build a household, and take dominion of the earth. Let's stick with God on this point. It's very, very obvious from Genesis 1 and 2. Okay? What are these two dudes doing? <laughs> Piper and Grudem, what are they doing when they're celebrating singleness? I just, I want to make this super clear. They're undermining God's ordained context for living in obedience to your sex. The normal, God ordained context for living in obedience to your sex is marriage and family. Right? It's like impossible to answer the question, "What are men and women made for?" without talking about marriage and family. Right? You cannot take the one exception in all world history, which is Jesus, the God-man, and say, well, because Jesus, yeah, Jesus does get married, by the way. You realize that? Jesus marries the church. Okay? So, his role was not forever. Like, he, he's hunting down his wife. He's dying for her. He's purifying her in holiness. He's not glorified single forever. This is the stupidest theology on the planet, and it's used to excuse sin today. All right, so I want to, I want to conclude this way. I want to give a brief summary of everything we talked about, and i to bring this to a conclusion. We've just had an introduction, and so I hope your appetite is whetted and you want to look more into this. We haven't said everything there is to say, but this is the summary and conclusion. From its inception, complementarianism was an appeasement to feminism. That's why it's failing. And that's why sexual sin is a wash in the church. I believe John Piper and Grudem were trying to do a good thing. And they were correct in diagnosing the onslaught of feminism and sexual perversion in the church. You would basically have to be blind not to see that that was a problem coming out of the 70s. But here's the deal. Every time the church builds halfway houses in these half-hearted positions that are aimed at appeasing the world, all you critical race theory, people hear me out, social justice warriors, it's the same thing. Like you are trying to appease the world and you're going to be destroyed. There is no appeasement, right? What we need are men in the church who hold firm to the full counsel of God. You point your ship into the storm that is the culture and you say with Athanasius, if the world is against me, then I am against the world. We need to take the red pill. We need to wake up to the reality that we live in a feminist world. It's the air we breathe and we don't even know it. Right? The problem that Piper and Grudem faced, I believe, is that they tried to appease the feminist Marxist ideologies. But it's like Winston Churchill said, you do not negotiate with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. That's exactly what the church tried to do. And it's foolish. Like the church that we're the men that were running the church in the 90s predominantly were the Neville Chamberlains of the world. And they said, the way that we're going to defeat feminism is by showing them how nice we are. And all, listen, all it's done historically is show you how the church can get its butt whooped. Right? If you want to see the church get totally blown away by the culture, just do what they did in 1991. And what I want to do in this podcast is I want to show you there's a better way. There's a third way that we have not talked about as much, and that is biblical patriarchy. It is vehemently not complementarianism, right? It's man's rule, man's full God-ordained authority. It's the war horse unleashed on the battlefield, right? It's men with chests. And by the way, it's strong women who are as much passionate about dominion warfare as the men, right? Feminists are lame. That's the reality. They're not tough. They're lame. And biblical femininity is like the women of Sparta. They're tough. They're violent. They know how to bring sons and soldiers into the world. And that's what we need more of. Now, because of these well-intentioned compromises, the church Today is awash with feminist egalitarianism, right? We're awash with same sex attraction. Revoice. We're awash with Beth Moore in the pulpit and JD Greer and Russell Moore approving of it. We're awash with gay PCA pastors. Yeah, that's a real thing, apparently. We're awash with effeminacy. We have an ESV Bible that just deletes that word from the text. And then we have churches whose pastors are effeminate and they delete it from their churches. And we have scores of other sexual perversions. Listen to me, man. The only viable solution, and we're going to address this in coming episodes, the only viable solution is robust biblical patriarchy. It's what the world needs. It's what you need. It's what your family needs. It's what your wife is longing for. She doesn't even know it. It's what your sons need. It's what your daughters need. They need a patriarchy that is full-orbed both tough and tender it's flesh and blood it's about practical sexuality it's about how to climb to the hierarchy that god created how to be exalted by god in a life of covenant faithfulness it's how to take sexuality into every area of life from the bedroom to the boardroom it is the recognition that hierarchies are god's design and that leadership and rule comes with god ordained authority and responsibility. So I hope you'll continue to join us, take the red pill, come see what patriarchy is about, and we'll show you how far down the rabbit hole in the feminist world of lies and enslavement goes. I want you to know, man, there's hope. There's hope in this world for men who will be faithful to God and to the word of God. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. If you have comments or feedback, please reach out to me. You can reach out to me on my website. That's ericconn.com, E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter, E-R-I-C underscore C-O-N-N. Until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.